Welcome to the Partners Financial Podcast, a podcast designed for you with insights from fellow members as well as NFP and Partners Financial experts. Welcome to the Partners Financial Podcast. I'm Kristen Williams, and today I'm excited to have Jamie Mendelson and John Mendelson with the Asher Group join us. Um, Jamie and John are here to talk about new ways to think about life settlements and valuation of life insurance. So Jamie and John, thanks for joining us on the podcast. It's great to be here today. Thank you, Kristen. All right. So are you seeing anything different or unusual? Is the so life settlement market sort of shifting to accommodate what we're seeing in terms of the macro sort of um, economic environment? Well, as brother and sister, and I'm clearly the much older brother um, than my younger sister, Jamie, on the call, I'll, I'll jump in, but we will be talking over each other because that's just the nature of family and family and business. And what we're seeing in the marketplace uh, is is really, you know, been been unique as unique can be because we saw a lot of the world stall and slow down when they weren't meeting face to face. And now that everyone's back together again, meeting face to face, we're starting to see a lot more planning taking place. And what how that relates to the life settlement space is that we we actually did a heat map of when you look backwards about 20 years, we looked at all the insurance industry data, and you would consistently see a spike. In, in policy surrenders or lapses based off economic downturns and big changes. Because when it came down to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, they were looking at their business, their family, food and shelter. And sometimes those policies that they were allocating a lot of cash flow for become less important. Well, what we're seeing right now, and we've seen it over the past few years, including COVID, was that people that are in the know, planners that understand that a policy could have additional value above and beyond that cash value, uh, not as much as the death benefit, but above, above that cash value, they could use that policy as, as an economic strategy to solve today's planning needs. So we are doing a lot more life insurance valuation and life settlement um, engagements as businesses and families and uh, those that have responsibilities for caregiving are trying to make some pretty significant financial decisions. They're looking at every asset on the balance sheet, including their life insurance. So we are seeing a significant spike. Um, we would expect uh, if the market continues to, to change or the equity markets kind of you know, get people a little bit you know, worked up that we're gonna see more policies hit the market as people kind of look to, to protect their bottom line. And I think just a little bit more on uh, what John uh, was discussing, the market today for life settlements, we saw more capital come into the space during COVID. That capital is still in the marketplace. So you have more competition on policies that's really driving value to the policy owners. And it's across all policy types and all face amounts. So there are buyers, there's opportunity for you know, it might be your client that has the $250,000 or $500,000 face amount, but we're seeing a really high demand for the $5 million, $10 million, $20 million plus face amount. So I think incorporating into the planning discussion or, you know, in these turbulent uh, potential economic times, recognizing it as the asset that could create the cash flows for other planning situations, I've seen that really ramp up. 
um, over the last several months. Uh, even with the rising interest rate environment, the demand from policy owners for sale and monetizing the, the policies for the, the certainty today has increased. Mm -hmm. I was wondering if interest rates would have an impact on the demand for sales, but it sounds like it's pretty it's pretty um, steady anyway, right? Yeah, there's more, I think from a policy owner standpoint, they're looking for cash. So we have uh, more uh, inventory in the marketplace with a demand for sale. So I think that's been great for the advisory teams we're working with, the idea of, of clients um, seeing this as an option. You know, in the market, buyers are looking for higher yields on this asset class, but because there's so much competition in the market, we're still delivering great results to the policy owners. Okay. And John, Jamie was saying that it's sort of all face values, but is it also various age ranges or are we only looking at sort of the upper end of age ranges? It's really somewhere between a 15, 20 year actuarial, you know, estimate or less. So if they're in their fifties and sixties, we just worked with a, um, a client. She was 47. She had um, breast cancer. She owned um, treatment centers for young women with addiction issues. And she had, you know, all these treatment centers. Well, she unfortunately was dealing with breast cancer. So what she was able to do was she took about half of her corporate owned life insurance or her key person, um, part of the buy sell and she valued and then sold a portion of that to bring in an, an executive team that would help run the facility. She could focus on her family and her treatment, but make sure that all of the clients that they were going to serve um, would, would continue to have uh, what they were looking for. So if they're younger, they have significant you know, health changes since the policy was issued, but it's really that 15 to 20 year life expectancy, regardless of age, um, about the one really interesting um, data point that came out though was we had about 20% of the policies that successfully went through the entire engagement process um, that ended in the, the, the windfall to the client were on insured 90 and older. Those that wow. had outlived all their planning, they were doing okay, normal age-related you know, health issues that you get when you're winning, you know, you're living into your 90s. And they, they were able to take pressure off the adult kids that were now in their gosh, 60s and even 70s. And they could take those dollars and repurpose those premium dollars for their parents' policies in their 90s and reallocate them to new coverage for the adult children that were anywhere from their you know 50s to 60s or their, their grandchildren that were younger than that. So it was really a multi-generational kind of planning discussion around life insurance that they were so grateful they had these policies. They just didn't want to have that uncomfortable feeling of betting against mom or dad. That's a, a really difficult you know, kind of tug of war there. So yeah, it was really interesting. Yeah, I love that the two examples you just gave us. I think a lot of times there's a notion of we're going to settle our policies because we don't want to pay the premiums anymore and we'll just take the cash and put it somewhere. But both of those examples you just gave, both on the business and on the personal side, really what they did was leverage the existing insurance to do additional planning. And so is that a thing you're seeing a lot more of that people are being really strategic? I think they're recognizing it that it's a that the existing life insurance is a property is an asset that they own and just like they wouldn't discard their real estate their their um, art their jewelry without understanding the value um, they're taking that action with their existing life insurance policies and that opportunity to monetize existing policies for other planning, we're seeing more and more of it. The whole multi-generational planning that John mentioned or 
expansion within businesses or part of a business succession planning process, recognizing the life insurance could help fund that succession plan, um, that's increased quite a bit um, as more awareness of this market is occurring. Kristen, um, one of the really interesting areas we saw an uptick in is, so we have this you know, third of the population moving into this aging demographic, um, haven't saved enough money for retirement, you know, uh, maybe they're doing, they're transitioning their business. So you have a third of business owners. What do I do with my business and things like that? Well, we're, we're a very entrepreneurial firm ourselves. As part of our business um, plan, we have to have our business valued periodically every couple of years. Well, a lot of the CPAs and attorneys that the advisors we work with, they're training them to not only include their business valuation language into their operating agreements, but also their life insurance um, on their key executives, having that appraised or valued or part of a policy review process. Because sometimes these policies, you know, gosh, we've seen 50 year olds, instead of taking 500,000 or, or X amount of millions of dollars out of their operating expenses, we're seeing them appraise and monetize existing key person insurance to buy out the senior partner that's retiring from the firm. So they're not essentially, you know, diluting the business, you know, when they're doing this, this succession plan that, that Jamie was referencing. So that there's a lot of really interesting ways to do that or understanding what that fair market value data point is, if they're going to distribute a policy out um, to a key executive. Mm -hmm. there, there's a really, there, there's a lot of ways to think about life insurance uh, is not, a, don't view it as a non-operating asset on the balance sheet, I guess is what we're saying. You know, so right. look at it like you would if you owned uh, commercial property, equipment, anything else that you're allocating dollars to, um, you have to get your insurance experts to take a look at it. Yeah, I like that you're helping to shift the viewpoint on life insurance. It's worth more than just the cash value, whatever that may be. There's a, there's a lot more intrinsic value in the life insurance, particularly if you bought one of those policies that doesn't maybe have a ton of cash value, but it's got a lot of other value in it. Yeah, that's right. I think we used to do presentations and we'd hold up a piece of paper that said the value of a life insurance policy isn't just the death benefit, it's its assignability. And mm -hmm. it's really true in the marketplace that exists today with how it has um, grown through regulation, through um, awareness. We're seeing more and more policy owners take advantage of the value of their existing life insurance policies um, and using that uh, with these these various examples to help fund other parts of their planning or in negotiations in different parts of business or or during, you know, even matrimonial disputes or when looking at um, the value of the asset and other parts of, of their overall business and, and estate planning. I, I had a funny story about it one day. So we, there was an 80 year old couple and they were just done. You know, they they were together their whole life. They were done. They were they were going through a divorce, and uh, the only thing left connecting them in this marriage um, was this life insurance policy that was part of the divorce decree. And they were trying to figure out what they could do to go on and enjoy the next 10, 15 plus years because they were both uh, in pretty good shape health wise. And they could not figure what to do. And it was a $2 million policy. And they looked at it. And one of their advisors said, you know, we've never had this appraiser valued. I, I recently understand that we can do this like we would any other piece of property that, that you all looked at and, and how you were um, divvying that out. So they looked at it. And what they ended up coming up with, it, his estimated longevity was somewhere on average of around 
10 years to 12 years, even at age 80. Okay. Mm -hmm. he had a lot of health, you know, age related issues, but if he followed his box of instructions, he would have been just fine. And he, he was a really funny guy. So, and he had a good time with us. Mm -hmm. So what they did is they came back to her and with the attorneys, the tax people, everyone representing, they said, all right, you have two options. We have this $2 million policy. He can continue to pay this policy. And in, and in 10 to 12 years, when you are 90 or 92 years old, you could potentially receive this $2 million windfall. Or we had an independent appraisal of the policy. We looked at all this assessment, um, the fair market value, you could receive 600,000 today. Well, she looked at that and said, I think I'll take the 600 today and not have to be in business with him anymore. And if we could go on our separate ways, and they were kind of this kind of sassy old older couple that they were having a good time with us, but they did truly want to move on. Mm -hmm. And this policy was what was holding them together. And she said, Hey, I'm 80 and I can, and I'm still doing okay. I'll take the money right now and have some fun. So they weren't desperate. These were not needs-based sellers. This was really just another asset, you know, on the balance sheet and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that being able to put an actual value on an existing policy is probably useful in so many different contexts, that being a, a sort of more amusing one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, Jamie, uh, one of my favorite ones that you worked on that was, and it was really meaningful, was when you talked about, um, we had a, a nonprofit, there was a large, you know, anti-human trafficking um, and they had a, a $10 million policy and James, I'll let you, you share with it. Um, cause it, they were just, you know, they had no idea that this existed unless you want me to finish it off. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the point of when, when we're going through this, um, success story, the idea of charities can really benefit by recognizing that life insurance can be a valuable asset, that it's not just a matter of the protection value, but that opportunity to monetize it today. We've seen the impact with charities, whether it be for research or dollars uh, to go towards some of the projects that they have in place. In this situation, you had a $10 million guaranteed policy, had no cash buildup. The donor had fatigue of having to continue to pay premium. And so it was really on the, the, the fence of saying we might just, you know, not continue with this gift. But by going through the valuation process, by people being involved with the plan giving um plan giving team with the organization, we were able to value the policy, identify multiple six figures of value if they wanted to monetize it today. And for the donor, it was this wonderful opportunity of giving while living, giving- It means a couple of million of value. It was a $10 million yeah. policy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, Jamie. Yeah. I just had to make sure that <laughs> it was a bigger number than you might have initially yeah. thought. Yeah. Just in general, <laughs> I mean, that, that specific example, 10 million, it ended up being um, monetized for, I think it was $2 million um, yes. immediately mm -hmm. to then um, fund these programs that were rescuing women and children out of just terrible uh, right. situations. So I, I remember what the executive said. He said, for decades we've been canceling policies when they essentially were like a car on the road running out of gas you know and someone didn't want to fund it and, he, and he's like how come none none of my advisors on our board have ever told us about this this right. is the first time we've ever done it and i can if you can only imagine how many lives will be affected by this uh, this policy that we begrudgingly took we would rather have had cash or equities mm -hmm. and now this policy is going to have a huge impact to so many people all over all over the world, and they had no idea. 
Yeah, I think that so many times, particularly charities and businesses, see life insurance as sort of a sunk cost that becomes fatiguing. I think we've done a good job in teaching our high net worth families about the value of life insurance and the other options. But what you guys are doing is teaching those entities, the more business focused organizations, charities and, and businesses, that there's value in the contract outside of the little bit of cash value or waiting until someone dies, that you can really, as you said, treat it like an asset and find a lot of value in that asset when you're sort of starting to get fatigue on paying the premiums. Exactly. Sure. And what the good news is they never have to be examined. The client It's really just gathering some independent information. So it's not like issuing a new policy where you have to draw blood or do or have some type of exam. It's it's uh, just some authorizations that that give us the approval to gather some information to provide that indication of value and to see if it even makes sense, because you might stop it right right from the start and say, you know what, that's not a, an appealing enough value. Or you might say, gosh, speed this up. This could be a phenomenal um, outcome, you know, for our family, the business, the charity, and on and on. And I think that's probably one of the bigger things, too, that John's mentioning, this opportunity, mm-hmm. um, because what we're all talking about today is a value-added discussion, really a solution versus a product sale. Right. And what we've seen in the conversations that we've um, been been lucky enough to be a part of is with advisory teams, with their policy owners, um, this opportunity to talk about life insurance and how it can impact their planning, while also for the advisory teams we're partnering with, mitigating risk and liability. So for for the policy owner, this is a consumer right. This is something that they should be aware of. And I think for the fiduciaries, whether it's it's us or the collaborative teams that we're a part of, it allows us to have a value-added discussion, potentially create opportunities for cash flows while also protecting ourselves um, by checking the box and on these options that exist with, with clients. Yeah. And and allowing everyone to just be able to make an informed decision about the policy with you know good solid data, so that seems really really helpful in a lot of situations. Absolutely. Yeah. In today's yeah. best interest world that we live in, I can't tell you how many times you know that's how you know we started on doing some different types of fee based work because they didn't want to sell it; they just mm-hmm. want to document their file. They want to mm-hmm. demonstrate before anybody cancels anything that they knew what it was worth. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of eyeballs from a, on the fiduciary space. Um, we're seeing a lot from a transparency and disclosure perspective. Are you laying every option on the table? You know, this is a highly regulated marketplace today. You know, it's made up of some of the largest institutional funds, pension plans that are the purchasers in our space that are looking to deploy billions of dollars to help fund this aging population's needs while they solve their own needs for upside down pension plans and things like that. So it, it's a much more sophisticated market than the market of 20 plus years ago um, that was more unregulated, dealt with individual investors. I mean, don't get me wrong, if you Google you know, something about life settlements, I'll, you know, all bets are off. You could be working with an unregulated party, but if you work with your financial professionals and fiduciaries that you work with that will know the right questions to ask, you're going to be in great shape. And at a very minimum, you'll be able to know what something's worth, you know, without just canceling it or having remorse later or potential liability later. 
Right. Well, thank you both for coming on the podcast today and and getting us up to speed on the what the live settlement market really is and all of the ways that it can be used to help people further their planning and do additional planning and, and treat life insurance as an actual asset with value. So thank you for your time today. Thank you. Happy to be here. Great to be here. Thanks.